The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. They ask you all these questions like, did you take drugs while you were pregnant? Right. Did you drink alcohol? On the last episode of Kavah, Cindy told us how she overcame generational bitterness in her family line. Her parents and their parents before them were abusive and unforgiving. And even though her own marriage was anything but easy, she didn't give up on forgiveness. But this new chapter in her life was about to take things a step further. Cindy was about to learn what unconditional love truly was. It's like you got to stop blaming. You have to yeah. stop looking. Just love your child the way they are. Just love them. Right. You know, that, and that right. to me, I felt like God said that to me when Robbie was first diagnosed at three years old. Welcome back to Cindy Gellarmini's story on Kava. So I go back to the pediatrician. I went to the woman this time and she says, all right, go see this doctor down at the Children's Specialized Hospital. So I took him down there and, um, and they had me fill out this whole questionnaire and they, and they ask you all these questions like, did you take drugs while you were pregnant? Right. Did you drink alcohol? I'm like, I don't know. I think I took aspirin once by mistake because I didn't right. know I was pregnant. You know, right. like you start getting, feeling so right. guilty. Right. Like, but what right. did I do? What did I do? You know, I don't know. Does he do this? Does he do that? You know, all, all these questions. And then, and, and finally at the end, the doctor says, listen, your son has pervasive developmental disorder, PDD, NOS. I was like, well, what the heck is that? He says, well, it's a fancy word for autism. I was like, now, I had been watching Saying Elsewhere, you know, where the the one doctor had an autistic son. Oh, okay. And and all I, all I had heard of it was that they, they live in their own world. They're not affectionate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, that's not my son. My son right. is affectionate. He loves hugs and kisses. And he's not in his own world. He knows exactly what's going on. Right. He knows exactly right. where you are. And if like, if you go out the door and you, if, and if you go out in the other room and you didn't shut the door, he will go and shut the door behind you. Right. Like he knows. Right. You know? So I said, um, this doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. So, um, and then he recommended the, um, developmental learning center for me to look at that place for him to go to preschool. And I walked out there and said, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he handed me a little pamphlet by some autism organization. He said, go home and read this. So I read the pamphlet and I read through. I'm like, no, that's not him. That's not him. Until he gets to the very end. And this mother had told a story of her child about how he would take a toy and he'd go over to the register and he'd stick it in the register and listen to it drop. You know? Mm-hmm. And I said, that sounds a whole lot like what he does with the ball, how he just drops it and lets it roll. And 
And that's when it hit me. I was like, yeah. oh my God. Cindy's experience was like that of most parents with autistic children. She identified this developmental disorder by the time her son was three years old. It would come to shape the rest of his life. Some of the major signs of autism, short for autism spectrum disorder, include trouble with communication, social interaction, and learning. Most individuals with autism communicate and interact very differently from others. And their learning abilities can range from extremely gifted to severely challenged. Each person's experience with autism is different from the next. On top of that, there was very little public awareness of autism when Robbie was born. So Cindy really had no idea what to expect. And at this time, autism is not... At this no, time, so this people was, people don't people really know what an autism is. Well, he was born in 1989. He okay. was two and a half. So this was like, what, 92, 93? There's no internet, you know? So I couldn't just jump on Google. Right. You know, and for, right. I, I, I'm like, what, you know, even even when he went to Summit Speech School, like I had to look it up in the phone book, you know, right. to find out the phone number to call these people. You right. know, I'm like, I'm, I know nothing. I'm right. completely lost here. Right. I don't know what autism is. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anybody that has it. Right. You know, I only know what I saw on this TV show. Um, and um, and then, except there was one neighbor around the corner that I didn't know. Um, and the 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 little special ed bus used to come pick him up every day. And that but the name on the side of the bus was the developmental learning center. It was the school that this right. doctor had recommended. So I. Um, I called her up and I talked to her, you know, and um, I don't remember what she said, but that was, that was the only person that I knew right. that I could talk to. And she, um, I knew that she told me like her son would walk up on his toes all the time right. and you know, certain things that, that he did. So the next step was I had to call my board of ed mm-hmm. um, and the board of ed would come and they evaluated him. Um, they bring all these specialists to the house right. and stuff, and then you get assigned, you know, a person for you, mm-hmm. um, um, your LDTC, you know, I'm start, you start learning all these, yes. all these phrases, right. You're learning disabilities, teacher consultant. Right. Um, and he, she, her job was to help me find a school. So we went to the children's specialized hospital where that doctor was, they had a school there and we went there and these kids were so severely handicapped. I mean, these were kids in wheelchair with oxygen, with helmets on their head that, you know, feeding tubes. I was like, what the heck am I doing? Like, get me out of here. You know? And Robbie too was like, he ran for the door. He's like, get me out of here. Then they brought us to a school that was for autistic kids, but they, they, the, a kid was screaming his head off because yeah. they wanted him to put his socks back on or something. And it was like thrown. Th- I was like, and again, and Robbie ran to the door. I'm like, get me out of here. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. Like I, I'm sitting here thinking my kid is just a little bit delayed and eventually he's going to catch up. You know, he just right. had too many ear infections and he's going to catch up right. and you're bringing me to places with these severely disabled right. kids. I'm like, that's not like, I, it, I felt you, you feel nauseous, right. you know? Um, then finally we went to the developmental learning center and it seemed like a calm, nice place. I sat down and talked to the guy and they explained some things to me and Robbie saw a toy on the shelf and he picked it up and he put it on the floor and he started to play with it. Now it's unusual for him to play with, to do what he did, you know, but he didn't run for the door. 
You know, he right. felt a sense of peace in this right. place. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go off of this, you right. know, that he seems to feel comfortable here. Right. And this is the place the doctor recommended. Okay. Okay. I guess, I guess he'll go here. Right off the bat, Cindy chose to handle this change with courage and determination. She learned that other parents had not necessarily made the same choice. And then I, I went to oh, that mom that had the kid down the street. She invited me to come to a parent meeting that they had. Uh, and I went there and I listened to all the parents talk. Um, and they, they had brought a specialist in who did... Um, he was an eye doctor and he was mm -hmm. talking about um, how their depth perception can be a little bit off. Like if you throw a ball to them, they'll, they'll swat it away, you know, and he had developed, had some kind of special glasses and whatever, but I was listening to the parents. Then, then they, then they had their meeting and they were talking about stuff and they just sounded angry. Like a lot of these parents sounded angry and they were angry that they're, they're not getting what they want for their kid. It seemed like they were all, they were blaming the doctors. They were blaming this person. They were blaming that or they were depressed, you know, yeah. some of them seemed very sad and depressed. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, so when I went to some speech school, the parents, we used to get together and we used to all talk about our kids, you know, and I was like, where's the support group? Like, where are the parents? And they didn't have one. Okay. Um, but I just, I, I'm, when I go into situations like that, I, I, I watch people and I read people and I observe, you know, and, and that's what I was picking up on. I'm like, okay, these parents are, you know, they're, they're, they're angry, they're blaming people or they're depressed or they're sad or whatever. There's like, nobody's coping very well with this, right. you know, from what I'm observing. Right. But I listened to one mom talking about her son and she said, they, oh, they were talking about using, um, her son used a device that where he could type, yes. uh, mm -hmm. what, yeah. cause he couldn't speak, but he under, he understood, but he yeah. couldn't speak. So he used to type things out. Yeah. And she was saying how he was getting really frustrated because he's saying, I want a cracker, but he really wants a cookie. Mm. And so that's when I realized, okay, this sounds to me like when people have a stroke, you know, right. and it's just, it's, they're, they're, right, they're right. trying to get something, but they're getting frustrated because right. it's the wrong thing. Right. Out. Um, so anyway, so I decided to put Robbie in that school. He, 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 his birthday was December 27th. It's over Christmas break. So as soon as Christmas break was over, uh, I sent him to school. He had just turned three. He was still drinking a bottle, still wearing a diaper, couldn't speak. Wow. Um, and, and, and here the bus comes to pick him up at my house and That's I had to just put him on the bus and send him off where wow. before I used to bring him and I used right. to be there in the same thing with right. him. And now I'm just sending him off on a bus. I'm like, I have no idea what's going on there. I was a nervous wreck the whole right. time. Uh, I'm home. I'm crying. I'm praying while I'm home. I'm like, well, I, God, I hope, just hope he's okay. Right. The, end of the day comes <laughs> He gets off the bus and he has lipstick kisses all over his cheeks. <laughs> okay. I said, all right, I think he's going to be okay. okay. And he had an aide that used to sit right next to him on the bus, you know, and she would hold his hand and sit with him and, and he would kiss her hand, you oh. know? And so they fell in love with each other like right oh. away. And, and then she named his bus driver eventually. And she oh. also was the lunch lady. So she mm. always used to take, she always used to watch out for him and took good care of him. That's awesome. Um, and they would, and, and again, there was no internet, there's no right. cell phones, no texting, any of that right. stuff. So I had a, uh, so they had a journal that they used to send home right. yes. in the backpack and the teacher would write to me and tell me, you know, how he did that day right. or, you know, you need an extra change of clothes or, or whatever. So that's, that was the only communication that I had. Mm -hmm. 
So did he do well? Yeah, he did. I mean, they, um, the, the biggest thing that they would work on was trying to get these kids to sit still, you know, like doing, doing circle time and trying to get them to right. sit and they would do, they would work on potty training with them and, yeah. and basic like life skills, yeah. you know, like how to, like, he always wanted to eat with his hands. Like they would teach him how to hold a fork right. and eat. Right. I could never get him to sit at the table. He would scream bloody murder. He hated, he would throw himself on the floor. He'd pinch, bite, like just have fits. Yeah. He wanted to go, he wanted to sit in front of his TV and sit on the floor and eat with his hands, you know? So I would just always cut up his food for him and, you know, where, and he could eat it in, you know, in the other room. Um, they could get him, you know, he'd go to the cafeteria, he'd sit at the oh, table, wow. he'd eat with work, he'd, you know, he, they could get him to do everything there, right. but I, did, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they were kind of miracle workers. And then, and then one summer I babysat my friend's son, um, uh, yeah, for like two months or whatever. And I would try to take him, uh, like I took him to McDonald's one time and he wouldn't sit still. He was like, he was like, he was, you know, two or three, you know, and he was running circles around McDonald's. And I was like, man, he needs <laughs> to go to that school. You know, right. every toddler go to this school right. because they teach these kids how to sit still and eat and, you know have nice manners and do all that kind of stuff so yeah so he was really happy there a few years later cindy had another son who grew up with robbie as an older brother and he learned how to be a companion and a friend for robbie and then uh and then uh five years later i had another son i had my son david mm-hmm. uh so all my kids are like <laughs> yeah five years apart so that was one time where the teacher called me and, and she said, you know, where he's, he's not himself, Robbie, you know, something's upsetting him. Like is something going on at home? And I said, well, yeah, he's got a new baby brother. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. That's a big thing. Right. And then as David got older, uh, David started getting older. Robbie started getting older and he started to get, he would get more and more hyper. Um, and he did, he would do a lot of like stimming, like, like, remember I said, he used to do this, right. but right. he, he would, grind his teeth when he was right. little he ground his teeth down to nothing here because yeah. he would do it you know, so hard and then uh and then when he was like five or six or whatever he he would pick up shoes that anybody left laying around with the long laces and he would twirl the shoes mm-hmm. and that would get him all excited you know and we called it him he was flinging he was flinging his shoes you know and then my girls would get mad because the, sh- the shoes would get right. all tied up in knots right. so I had to start hiding their shoes and I gave him one somebody's old pair of shoes right. and has his designated you know, flingers. I was like, here, do these. Right. And uh, he would go, and he'd go through these cycles of behavior where he would get like really hyper, and he he he'd be up till midnight. Like I couldn't get him to go to sleep, you know. And he'd be That's jumping hard. and banging and stimming and and doing all this kind of stuff. And um. And and uh, or he'd or if he did fall asleep, he'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning and be up all night, you know. So and and when he was little, we were still living in the two family with okay. my in laws. And okay. he'd be getting up in the middle of the night, jumping up and down. And my brother-in-law started getting mad because he's yeah. hearing this bang, 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 and banging on the floor. So we were like, we we, we have to move out. We, we've got to go. So we um, we, bought, we bought a house and we moved out. And um, and that was it. He, he kind of did okay with that change. But, um, but yeah, so it was here in this house where he was just getting, you know, just more and more hyper. And then, and then as he 
he he liked pressure. Like I learned that at the speech school, like they used to yeah. do joint compression and yeah. brushing and, yeah. you know, and they would, and weighted vests and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So I learned that he, he, you know, pressure would sort of calm him down. And so David, David was a big kid. He was off the charts. He was big and strong and muscular. And, um, he still is, he's six, four, like oh, 275 wow. pounds. Oh, wow. a huge really football player guy. So, um, so David would be laying on the couch trying to watch TV and Robbie would come running in and he grabbed David and he'd pull him down on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, David, he wants you to wrestle with him. I'm like, just jump on his back and just squeeze him. And, and that's what he wanted. Right, he, he wanted right. you know, David just you know, squeeze him. And um, so David had a very different relationship with Robbie because the girls were five years older. Right. His, they were very nurturing and they would take care yes. of him and they would babysit him. They'd change his diaper. They would do everything yeah. with him. And their friends also would saw Robbie that way. Robbie, right. you know, was younger than them and they would all take care of him. They all, you know, right. they would babysit him, you know, but now this dynamic was different. David was five years younger. Right. And he had this older weird brother that banged and made noise right. and all this kind of stuff. And when David went to kindergarten, we, we, he invited a friend to come over and, and Robbie was in the other room and he started making all this noise and his friend started crying and he called his mother to take him home oh. because he was afraid. And then David wouldn't have friends over after that, yeah. you know, cause he was embarrassed. Yeah. Um, so da- David had a very different, you know, relationship and, and, and now, and then, you know, as they started getting older, Robbie hits puberty, then they start getting yeah. violent. Yeah. Um, and then he started going after my husband. Like he would, my husband's loud. He just, you know, he doesn't understand right. indoor voice. You know, Italians are yeah. just loud, you know? Right. And he shouts when he talks, right. you know? And, um, and, and Robbie didn't like that. And he'd come out and he'd grab my, and grab my husband and pull him to the ground and he, and he would pull on his shirt and wouldn't let go until he heard it rip. Oh, wow. Uh, then he would calm down and then he would back off. And then Robbie would cry because it, it was almost like he felt like you just attacked him you know it was kind of I don't know it was just this weird this weird cycle um and uh you know but he loved my girls he always loved my girls he would always smile and be happy with them um we had a trampoline in the backyard Robbie used to love to go jump on the trampoline because I think the pressure was good for him and yes, if he yes. he got the windows and if he saw the girls out there jumping he'd run right. out there because he wanted them to jump with him right, you know he right. loved jumping with them that was and that was cute because he was interacting you yes, know, with yes. them, which was great. Um, which that's a big deal with autistic kids, you know, right, for them yeah. to get eye contact with them or yes. for them for, to interact with you. So that was his, his interaction with them. And then they would babysit him and he was great. But as he started getting older and more violent, you know, like one day he just, they both had, they had ponytails mm-hmm. and he just grabbed both of them by the back, back oh, of the wow. hair. And he had this vice grip where he wouldn't let go, you know? Oh, wow. And, uh, and then, and he would, he would run away. That was another thing that yeah. he used to do all the time. It started, started when I was living at my in-laws, I would be in the bathroom. I look out the window and there he was running down the lawn off, off to yeah. the neighbor's house. And I was like, yeah. and he, it was like, and that's why I knew he wasn't in his own little world. He knew that right. I was in the bathroom and I wasn't out paying attention to what he right. knew. I was, he knew he could get away with it right. at that time, but he could take off and run down to the neighbors and he would do it all the time. So when we bought my house, the first thing we did was fence in the yard yeah. and bolted the front door and, you know, make right. sure that he was safe. But once in a while he would get out and he knew neighbors on both sides of us had a pool. Mm. He would yeah. be taken off trying to get to their pool. That's and scary. we had to call the police many times for him uh, to go out and try to find him. You know, one time my husband and I, we tried to just go to the diner down the street and 
at this time, I think we had cell phones and the girls called, Robbie's gone. Like, oh, call the police. We'll be right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then we got this ID bracelet for him with our name and address on it in case mm-hmm. anybody, you know, because one right. time he ended up in the other town. Oh, wow. And um, because we live right on the border. So like everybody in our town knows him, but he just like one house behind us is the next town. So he ended okay. up going that too far. Right. And those police found him, picked it up, picked him up, and they were driving around trying to see if anybody's looking for this kid, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. they suggested that you know, get the bracelet, get maybe right. get a dog. I said, no, Robbie, Robbie's afraid of animals. That doesn't work. Poor Robbie had the best intentions, and he loved his siblings and his parents. He simply didn't know how to communicate his thoughts and feelings. As he got older, Cindy started to see some serious side effects of this non-communication. So when he was 17, He, uh, he, he also, he had digestive issues. Like he would get, he would have these bouts of diarrhea or he'd vomit. Um, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what was, what was going on. Um, and at this point now, you know, you meet enough of uh, other parents and, you know, and they all start talking about the gluten and the dairy and, you know, right, the, right. You know the leaky gut and, you know, all that kind of stuff or whatever. I had tried a vitamin therapy. It just made him too hyper. You know, I had tried, I, I didn't want to ever put him on meds. Um, but because he, he would never go to sleep, right. um, one doctor had put him on clonidine uh, when he was five, which is blood pressure medication. Actually, it lowers your blood pressure so that you sleep. Mm-hmm. So that you get, so it would put him to sleep. So so we did give him that every night so he could so he would sleep. Um, but I didn't want to start experimenting right. with this other right. stuff, you know. But he was getting more and more hyper and aggressive, and um, so one day when he was seventeen, I was at church. I was uh, on Tuesday nights. I used to have. Uh, practice for I used to sing on the worship team I used to lead worship there so we would do practice on Tuesday nights and I'm there and I hear the ambulances flying down the street and I had this instinct in me I said they're going to my house about 10 minutes later my daughter comes running in running runs across the altar and mom 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 Robbie just had a seizure you have to you have you have to leave right now so we go to the hospital and what had happened was he was in his room watching TV. My daughter was home. She was in college at that time. She was home. She was studying to te- be a special ed teacher and she's home and David is there. And my husband's sitting outside and my husband hears, he hears this noise. And he's like, what is that? And he comes in and Robbie's on the floor seizing and his elbows are banging up against the, banging against the wall. And, and then um, and my daughter's like, you know, hysterical and she calls 911, you know, and, and, and um, they, they hurry up and come. He's having a seizure. And then he stops and he just turns blue and he's not breathing and he's just completely unconscious. And my husband knew because my husband was a fireman. He's right. put many dead bodies out of cars, you know, um, that he he died at that moment. And I didn't, I didn't know any of this until much later, but I thought my husband was exaggerating because he can do that. Uh, And I thought, oh, well, he just turned blue because of a seizure, you know, but he'll, but you come back, you know? Um, And my husband started doing CPR on him and the, and, and the, and the squad came and they were like, you know, working on him or whatever. And he was gone and they took him out to the ambulance. Mm -hmm. And my husband was getting ready to call me to tell me 
Robbie's gone. And all of a sudden, the guy from the ambulance gets out and runs back to the house and he knocks on the door. He said, he's up. Oh, and meanwhile, my husband, when he's doing CPR, he's yelling, Robbie, Robbie, come back. Don't do this. Don't do this. Why don't you come back to me? Come back. Um, and he did. He came back. So, wow. so I found out later he was gone for like 15 minutes. Oh, uh, wow. Woke up in the, in the ambulance and came back and they said, he's, he's back up. He's wow. like, you're kidding. So all this trauma was going on in my house while yeah. I'm singing. Right, <laughs> right. You, you know what? Yeah, you're right. like, no idea. So my, so my daughter came in basically it's like Robbie died and he's back and we got to go to the hospital. I'm like, what, what in the world is happening? You know? Right. So he was in the, so he had been, um, he had been vomiting before that and having diarrhea, I think. So I met the neurologist now at the hospital and he asked me, you know, I told him about the digestive issues and he said, do you see a change in his mood at when, when you see that? And I said, you know, actually come to think of it. Yeah. It's usually when, you know, he get he's really grouchy and, and angry and stuff. Right. And then, and then the vomiting and the diarrhea comes and and then that's when the seizure happened. He says, I want you to keep a calendar and I want you to keep a record of what, of what happens with his digestion and what happens with right. his moods. Okay. So this was, um, and the seizure seemed to happen like every six months or so. So that was like maybe June or whatever. So we get to Christmas time. No, we get to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving and he's vomiting. And when he vomits, it's, it's like every 30 minutes, it's mm. constant all night until nothing is coming up, but green stomach bile. It's like it, it, he vomits until the point that you just can't anymore right. because there's nothing left right. to come out. And he doesn't know how to go to the bathroom and throw right. up in the, in the toilet, you know? So I have to sit next to him and sleep next to him with a pail, you know? And as soon as I hear, you know, I grab the pail, put, put his head on the pail and try to catch it. And when I say diarrhea, I'm talking about this is, he's still wearing a diaper. So, you know, how when an infant gets it and it's all over their back and gets all over the crib, this is a 17, 18 year old full bodied adult lying in the bed. Okay. That, and uh, like I got up one night, I heard him get up and I, and I, and he got up and he went downstairs to go down to the bathroom and I, I went after him and I slipped and fell all the way down the stairs because it was dripping all over the floor, like all the way, like that's, I mean, the whole house stings to high heaven. I mean, this is just, you know, and, and it was start, he was starting to get diarrhea every weekend and he was, and then the holiday would come and that's when the vomiting would start. Um, and that was like on Thanksgiving, the, the vomiting. And then by Christmas time, he had a second seizure. He was, and he was throwing up or he had the diarrhea and I had him in the shower and he started going, right? So he was, so I quickly got him out of the shower and I put his head near the toilet and he's laying there, he's soaking wet, he's naked. And then all of a sudden I hear this hissing noise and I hear, and his eyes rolled back and he went right back into my, right back into my lap. His eyes rolled back and he starts doing this. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like holding him now. Meanwhile, this is the second one. And the medication right. that they gave us is you have to give him anal right. okay oh, wow. so so i'm like oh my god give me give me that give me that i forget what it was even called i want right. to say an epi pen but i forget what the medicine right. called get get it hurry up hurry up call 911 so i'm on the phone with them and i'm like trying to trying to open the there's this little packet that you got to get the vaseline and i'm, I'm like freaking out on the phone i'm like, oh, 
bleep, bleep, bleep. I'm like swearing, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, I can't, you know. and they're trying to keep you calm. I'm like, I can't, I can't get calm. I can't open the, get right. him now, you know? So the, so they came and I just had to throw a towel over him and then, you know, and then the seizure stopped and then they take him to the hospital. Even though Robbie couldn't explain why he was so distraught, Cindy pieced together the puzzle. Um, so it was Thanksgiving he got sick, and then Christmas he got sick, and then on Easter it happened again. And I'm like, what's going on here, man? This is every holiday. This right. is happening. So I started to figure it out that on holidays we sit at the dining room table. Family comes over, and, we, and that's the only time we ever sit in the dining room is like on a holiday. Right, right. And so when we were sitting there, like on Thanksgiving, he started coming out of it. Like we had a room where he would watch TV mm-hmm. and he'd come out and he'd see us and he'd stomp off and go back to his room. Then he'd come out and he'd run into the living room and he'd run back. Like you could tell he was getting agitated, you know, we were like, why is he agitated? You know, like he's mad that we're sitting at the dining room table. Why is he mad that we're here? Right. Finally, it started to dawn on me. He doesn't have school when holidays come. He's off the school, especially Christmas time. He's off for a whole week. Right. Thanksgiving, you're off for four days, you know? And, right. and Easter, you're off again. And I, all of a sudden, it started dawning me. I'm sitting in the hospital, you know, looking at him in his bed. And it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I said, oh, my God. He knows when it's a holiday, he's not going to have school now for about a week. And he's upset and he's agitated about this. Oh. I had to, I, you know, he couldn't talk. I had, you know, you're, um, I'm just had to figure it out you know um and that would explain why every weekend it was like every friday night at six o'clock he'd start you know with his stomach issues and stuff and i was like man it's because it's the weekend and it's because it's holiday he knows he's not in school i'm like so what do i do now so this was like 2008 this year when the stock market dropped and everybody lost all their money right so i called the board of ed and i said i think He'd be happy if he could live at school because it mm. seems to me he doesn't right. want to be. And he was really going after my husband a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, and I said, these two are, these two are buttonheads. And it was, and it was really starting to stress out David, the poor right. kid, because he was there at the first seizure. Right. And our next door neighbors, um, the the guy, the the husband, his brother had special needs and had seizures. Mm. So, um, so we were very happy that they lived next door because right. they understood. Because sometimes Robbie would run outside with no clothes on or whatever. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> you know? And they didn't care because they understood it. You know, right. he had a right. brother with special needs. So um, I would. Uh, so we, the very first time, my husband said, "Go next door to Amy's house to David," and he ran over there, and they would be like, "It's okay. It's gonna be okay." You know, mm-hmm. my brother has seizures. It'll be all. Oh, it's all gonna be okay. So that became the protocol. Now, whenever Robbie would have a seizure, David would run next door. But David started getting really nervous. Like anytime Robbie, because Robbie, because it was nonverbal, but he would make vocalizations, you know, and, and it'd be, mm, 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 you know, so, but sometimes it sounded like, Ugh. if it's, if it sounded like that right. sound, right. Robbie would get sick immediately. David's stomach would just go in knots, mm-hmm. you know, and he was getting, he was, he was getting traumatized. I didn't realize it, but David was really starting to be traumatized yeah. by this. And, and it'd be like, go to, go to Amy's, go next door, you know, cause we didn't want him to see the whole thing that yeah. went down. Um, so let me think, where was I before that? So he has a seizure. So he has a second one. I put, I started to put two and two together and I so realized then- he By the goes, time the third seizure came, I started to realize, I think he doesn't want to be here anymore. I think right. he, if he could, because he's, he's now, 
18, 19 years old. Right. Okay. So biologically, yeah. A kid that age would be going off to college now, right? They're right. ready to be away from their right. parents. Right. So mentally, he was only a toddler, mm-hmm. you know, but physically, he's a 19 year old, right. you know, and he's, and it's normal at that age that you don't want to be around your parents. Your parents irritate you. You want to be with your friends, you right. know, you want right. to hang out with your, be in your own, you know. So were you able so, to find someplace? So I called the board of ed. I said, can we find him a school where that he could live at? And there was nothing they could do. It was just too expensive and nobody was going to pay for it. Right. Um, and so I called, um, I, I finally, I had registered him with uh, DDD, which is mm-hmm. through the state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. It's the, the Division of Developmental Disabilities. Okay. They had told me, you know, early on, the school tells you these things, you know, you register with DDD. I said, why? They said, well, because someday, you know, when you're, if you're older, you know, and uh, something happens to you, you know, he might have to go to a group home someday and, mm-hmm. you, you know, you need to be registered. I said, well, he's never going to a group home, you know, he's going right. to with me forever. I tell you that right now. I would never put him in a group home. Um, but I did it anyway. I registered right. him um, because apparently that's what you're supposed to do. And when they turn 18, you also want to, I had to declare guardianship of right. him. Right. Um, because at 18, they're expected now to sign their own name to things and, yeah. you know, can get drafted or whatever. Right. And I'm like, he's a toddler. He's a right. year. He's, he's, he understands what a toddler understands. There's no right. way he can make any decisions for himself. He can't write his name. He can't read. He doesn't understand anything. Right. So I had to declare legal guardianship of him as well. Um, and I just throw that out there because parents, I'm still meeting parents that don't know this, that yeah, they're supposed right. to do this and you get, and you sign them up for SSI, right. um, social security. So I started to get some money for him to at least, because he used to break stuff all the time. I mean, he broke every, he also had neuropathy in his hands. Right. And right. so he didn't really feel things. He didn't know his own strength. He used to slam things. He used to right. slam doors. He broke all the doors off in my house. He used to slam the doors in the kitchen, all the, all the drawers fell off in my kitchen um you know he would go through like vcrs and tapes like all the time like he he, would break tvs like he just didn't know his strength so i'm constantly like i had to redo my kitchen and like i had to you know fix stuff all the time so to get that little bit of money from the government at least it wasn't you know at least i could replace his tv and his vcr and stuff pay for his diapers um so So, uh did he anyway so i called I'm sorry. Did he continue to live with you? Yes. So okay. he's still living with me. So I called DDD to see if I could get some kind of help. And the first thing that we did was we found a program um, on Sunday afternoons that I could take him to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he liked that. I would bring him on Sunday Sunday morning and they would go places. They would go to, um, you know, an amusement park or whatever. Like they would do stuff with him. And he liked that, you know, like I'm right. trying to get him to not be home on the weekends right, to find right. stuff. Um, so he liked that. And, and then when Christmas week came, I'm like, I got to do something with him. He can't be hanging around the house here. So they had this respite where I had to drive him three hours away down all the way down South Jersey and drop them off at a house where these people were going to take care of him. I'm like, this is, he's, it's not going to go well, but he he did okay. But he was kind of, I could tell his gratitude when I picked him up. Um, but I, I wanted to get him away from my husband. Um, and because he just that's just seemed to be his trigger you know so anyway the people started coming to my house to see him and because they 
the state does not want to put anyone in group homes because they don't have the room for him. Uh, they put him on a list and he was number 4,555 on the list. Cindy had learned how to care for Robbie while he was a child, but now that he was an adult, she was at a loss. No one around her knew how to help. So, but what they did was they brought specialists and people to the house to see him, to try to help me, mm-hmm. to see if I could right. create some type of a quiet room for him or whatever. When they saw how severe he was, right. they all were stunned and kind of speechless. And they all just kind of sat there like, we don't really know how to help. We really don't yeah. know what to do. Wow. Um, and then they just suggested, they said, we think maybe a group home is the best for him because he'll get, um, he'll have around the clock care you know, uh, and you'll have six staff there, whatever, to take care of him and stuff. And I was like, well, and then I, so I, and then I had talked to a friend of mine, um, her husband was a professional football player and she, she, I knew her from church and she's a pretty tough woman. And she had a son with special needs who was in a wheelchair. And I, I called her and I talked to her and she said, um, she, they tried to take Shane on an airplane to go somewhere. She said he screamed mm-hmm. a high-pitched scream the entire time right. we were on the plane. Yeah. She said, we try to fit them into our world, right. you know, and we're like, doggone it, we're going to be a normal family and we're going to do this. She's like, they don't want that. They don't right. want to be in our world. They don't right. want to do the things that we do. They don't like what we like. They want their own stuff. And she right. ended up, she put him in a, in a residential school. Um, but she had the money for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's much happier there. Right. And then I talked to another woman that I met who she's she's an adult and she has a brother with special needs. And she mm-hmm. said her mother never did anything, never made any arrangements for him. And then the mother died. And she says, now he's our responsibility. So now between my brother in California and me, mm-hmm. she says, we have to have him live with us yeah. and take care of him now. He's our responsibility for the rest of our lives. She had to pack up and leave New Jersey and go move to California so she could be there to take care of her brother. She said, don't do that to your other kids. She says, make arrangements for him. So I finally ended up getting him in a group home. Mm -hmm. And I cried. Mm -hmm. It was like somebody ripped my heart out. Right. And I explain it this way, you know, with my other kids, with David, you can kind of pull away from them slowly one right, a little bit right, at a time. Like right. put them in preschool and they're there for two right. and a half hours, two days a week, right. right? Then they're in kindergarten and then they're half days every day, you know? Right. Then they're in first grade, then they're gone all day. Right. Then when they're older, they're gone, but then they start playing sports. So it's an even longer day. Then right. they get their license. Then you got to let go even more because it's like, now you can let them go even more. I didn't have that. Robbie went from being a toddler where my entire day was wrapped up in his care. Every minute of every day, from the second I heard him wake up, I popped out of bed. I took care of him, you know, constantly. My whole day was centered around him. And then all all of a sudden the next day he's gone. And the house was quiet. Wow. And so I, I kind of went through these phases of mourning. It's like when he first got diagnosed, Mm -hmm. I think you have this, normal child typically I'm told you're not allowed to say that you have to say typical child um and my husband thought oh he's gonna play for the Yankees someday you know whatever and then all of a sudden that child is gone it's like no I have 
disabled child. Okay, so you go through, that lasted about a week. You go through one week. Then now that he goes into the group home, that again it was like morning. Right. And then after a while, you'd just start to adjust. And 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 I would have you know we and we'd get him every weekend. We we'd take right. him on Sundays for a visit and stuff. And we, we kind of we we got used to that. Um, they finally when he moved into the group home, he finally became independent and started going to the bathroom by himself. Mm. So he, 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 I could bring him to the bathroom to go, but he right. would never do it independently. But once right. he went in the group home, he independently started to go. Wow. Um, he, he finished school and then he started a day program and they had stuff for him to do. So yeah. um, it was really rough in the beginning. They had no idea how to take care of him. They would call the police on him. They would do, it was, it, that was, that's a whole other story. I'm not even going to get into that, but I started uh, I started doing a video blog of him um, because I was tired of telling the same stories over and over again. Right, and I right. said, look, I'm just going to turn on my camera and I'm going to just film it and talk about it. And right. we ended up having thousands of followers from all over the world. Like I didn't expect that. I wow. did it just for family and friends, you know, like so I could right. post it on Facebook. Right. Um, and so kind of followed that whole journey of what happened when I put him in the group home and all the issues and, you know, right. whatever. So we finally finally got him to the place where he was happy. He was really happy in his day program. We finally had workers that he liked that knew how to take care of him. He was really happy. Uh, once in a while, I would get a phone call though at like seven in the morning and I knew my heart would always stop. As soon mm -hmm. as I got that phone call at seven in the morning, that meant Robbie had a seizure. Yeah. Uh, if the seizure lasted over one minute, he'd have to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I had my, I had a little bag that was ready with a change of clothes, yeah. his videos, you know, whatever. And I would pack up and I'd go to the hospital and I'd stay with him until he was ready to go home. Cindy learned to see the beauty in all of this confusion. She drew closer to God during this time. And he began to prepare her heart for a season that was by far the most challenging one yet. My, my pastor at my church now is, is a woman. And her, six months before this, her 30-year-old son was coming home from work, got in a car, and got in an accident and was killed instantly, mm. okay? And two days before that, a very good friend of mine, her 12-year-old daughter, committed suicide. Oh so that's two deaths right. that happened, okay? Right. Six months before that, a family from church, their 24-year-old son, perfectly healthy, beautiful boy, loved to go to Bible studies, wanted to be a worship leader, you know, um, he goes to bed one night and never wakes up. So, so this, that's three families within six months that all lost their young right, adult children. children, okay? So the first family had told me that they had read this, this book about this woman who, um, who had gone to heaven and stuff. And she had this whole description of heaven and they, they're telling me about it with a smile on their face. And I'm amazed that they just lost their son like a couple months ago. And they're talking to me with a smile on their face, telling me all about what heaven is like. I'm like, all right, I have to get this book. I have to find out, you know, it's like fascinating to me. So then my pastor's son dies and the, the other one died. So I ordered both of this woman's book. I started watching videos. I started, I'm on YouTube every single day and every single night watching videos about heaven. I want to hear every person that's ever been to heaven. If either it's a supernatural experience, like the book of revelation, or if they died yeah. and came back, whatever I'm obsessed yeah. with hearing about heaven, you know? So, and then when the, the now this is the, the church that I go to, this is, you have to understand how strong their faith is. Okay. They will pray for you to be to be healed and your body will be healed. I mean, and when this couple, when their 24 year old son died, she wanted to pray to bring him back. Like mm -hmm. she wanted him brought back to life. That's right. how, you know, that that's where she is. 
So, but they had to let go of that and now right. understand that their son is in heaven and he doesn't want to come back, you know? Right. So, um, on November 17th of 2017, so this was three years ago, that phone call came again at seven in the morning. Um, and I pick it up and I said, um, Robbie had a seizure. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm okay, let me hurry up and get dressed and I'll meet you at the hospital. And he says, um, um, it's been 20 minutes. Um, he's not waking up. Um, no. Yeah. Did he say he's not waking up? He just said, it's been 20 minutes and he hung up. I was like, what, what's going on? What do you mean? 20 minutes, 20 minutes. How do you have a seizure for 20 minutes? This is ridiculous. So I get dressed. I take off. I I'm heading toward the hospital. I call my husband. I said, go meet, come meet me at the hospital. I called my pastor and, um, I said, start praying right now. Now, meanwhile, that's that's where they're at. They're like, okay, we're going to start the prayer chain right right now and just believe God that he's going to be okay, you know, whatever. Or we'll call him back, you know, whatever. Uh, and I call my husband. I get to the hospital. I'm outside the emergency room and the ambulance is not there. I'm like, what? where are they? What What's going on? He, he lives two miles from the hospital. He should have been here before me. Why is the ambulance not here? What's going on? My husband gets there with his with his friend had drove him. And, uh, and my husband calls the house and my husband, he walks away and I'm talking to his friend, telling him, you know, how this is, he should have been here by now, whatever. And my husband goes, okay. And he turns around and he looks, he hangs up the phone and he looks at me and says, Robbie's in heaven. And, you know, it's like a scene out of a movie, you know, you just, no. Like you just start screaming and I collapsed and like just no, no, you're lying, you're lying. He's on his way here, you know. So and then we didn't know what to do because um my husband, because he had been a fireman, he knew what was going on. What what happened when he said it's 20 minutes, they had been doing CPR on him for 20 minutes and he didn't and he never came out. And, and then they called the squad and the squad was there. And my husband said, I'm not, I'm not bringing you over there because he knew he'd be hooked up to wires and it would be like a whole scene. And he didn't want me to see that. Um, and I said, I don't want to see him like that either. So we went home. And as we're driving home, I'm like, I, I have to call my other kids and tell them this. I can't believe I have to do this. So, and I had to tell my mother-in-law. And so, you know, we, I, I called my mother-in-law and we called, and my daughter, my daughter works where my husband works. And so we, I don't know who called her and just said, come home. You have to come home. And she thought it was her grandma. Mm-hmm. You know, she thought it was, why would we do that? You know? So we get there and know her grandma's at the house and she's at, she's at the house and we had to tell them and then they, and they break down and cry. I had to call my other daughter lives in North Carolina. She's married. I had to call and I called her husband Mm -hmm. and I wanted him to tell her. I didn't want to tell her over the phone. And I called Brendan up at work and he just like breaks down crying and just hangs up on me. (laughs) So then he had to go home and he had to tell my daughter now, Patty, and she's the one that's the special ed teacher. She was very, very, you know, just Robbie was her world. And every kid that she taught was her brother, you know, right. she loved those right. kids. She's an excellent special ed teacher because she just loved those kids because they were her brother to her. So she broke down. She just collapsed, you know, 
and um, and we had to tell everybody. And then um, and then I said, I I I need to see him one more time. I need to kiss him. I need to kiss him goodbye. So we went to the house, and my daughter was my Denise that was home with me. She was my rock. Um, and we drove there, and I didn't want to get out of the car. So my husband and my daughter went in first. Um, and they came back out and they said, Mom, it's okay. He's laying on the bed. They covered him with a blanket. He just looks like he's sleeping. Just go, just go say goodbye. And I went in the house and in the kitchen, the 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 table and the chairs were gone. Like, so I knew they must have been working on him on the floor in the kitchen. And I went into his room and his feet were sticking out of the blanket. And I, I used to, he, he had really high arches in his feet. And I used to always massage his feet and kiss his feet. You know, he just had cute feet. And, uh, and that was one of my favorite things. So for when I saw his little feet sticking out of the blanket, that was it. I just collapsed on the floor again. I just started screaming. And um, anyway, then I had to finally, I pulled myself together and I got up and I, and Every time I would go visit him, I would always kiss him like seven times, you know, I'd kiss him on his cheek. And then as soon as I would be done, he'd always wipe it off, you know, and I'd say, hey, don't wipe my kisses off, you know, and then he would laugh, you know. So, um, so I went, I kissed his cheek again, but, um, but it was like, it was a shell, like he was gone. I knew he was gone. And, um. And I just sat there and I'm like, what do I do now? And then, and then before you know it, the funeral home shows up and they're ready to take him away. They said, okay, we have an appointment for you at one o'clock to come on in. Oh gosh. And, uh, and so we left and we drove past my, my, my old church, the one where I was, had been singing on the, on the altar at the time where he had the first seizure. And we drove past that church and I, I ran in there to go see the, the woman who's in short charge of pastoral care. And I just, you know, bald crying in her office and um anyway she says we're going to do a funeral for him here you know and uh, don't worry you know you've been saying worship here for 10 years you know you're a part of our family we're going to do a funeral for you and then uh and then you have to go to the funeral home and they and it's all business and they're like okay do you want him cremated i'm like and i just like i got up and walked out of the room yeah. i'm like can i process what just happened right, to my son right. start asking me these questions yeah. um and then I said, yeah, I do want them cremated, but I want you to save some ashes because I know that they make jewelry out of the ashes and I want you to just save me some. And, um, and she had the brochure and she slid it across the table. She, she says, here, mm. choose one. So I picked one out um, that looked like water because Robbie loved the water and he was obsessed with the water. And here, I have it right here. And this is oh. his necklace. And in here, there's, there's all this white, all the white in the back, those are his ashes. And um, my daughter Denise bought it for me right there on the spot, and um, and then we had a, and then my son David was away in college, and we had to tell him while he was away at school. And then that weekend was his senior weekend. He played football, and it was the last football game of his senior year. It was senior day, and all the parents were supposed to come up, and you're supposed to walk with your son on the right. football field, and it's supposed to be this big, huge yeah. celebration day. And, um, I didn't, and this was, I think a Thursday, I said, I don't want to take that away from him. So I'm not, you know, I said, let's wait and do the funeral like next yeah. Monday or Tuesday. Let's let David have his, right. 
final game. So we drove up to Rhode Island and we went up there that weekend. It was so weird and so raw and like, and everybody knew all the parents knew and all the kids knew and they were wonderful. I mean, they were so, you know, they they were great. You know, we just kept telling everybody what had happened, which is kind of good because we needed to kind of Cause you're kind of in shock, you know, I don't even re- believe that really happened. So for me to keep telling, telling you, it just kind of helped. And then we brought David home and we had the funeral on Tuesday and a whole bunch of guys from his football team came down for the so funeral, sweet. which was so sweet. And his high school friends came home from school and everybody came and the one kid got hurt, you know, and they just, one kid's on crutches and the other one's got his arm in a sling because they got injured in the game and stuff, but they all drove down for the funeral. And we had, I think, thousands of people. It was like an overflow room because oh, wow. the rescue squad knew him, the police department knew him, the wow. fire department knew him, all the people from church, all the people from town, all my kids' friends. Wow. There were so many people and people from the group home that came. Um, wow. And it, was, and it was really beautiful. And I had them do, I had them do, like praise songs, like not typical right. funeral stuff. And I told them at the Presbyterian church, I said, look, this is not going to be your typical funeral. I could tell you that right now. I said, I, I expect Robbie to be here, you know, watching this funeral. And if you play organ music, he's going to get up and run. <laughs> <So, laughs> You're going to play praise songs. And I picked the songs yeah. and, uh, and one of the songs, it's a Hillsong song. And, and it says, uh, even if I run away, um, you know, you're, you, you still love me anyway, something like that, you know? And I was like, and, and that was cute to me because Robbie used to always run yes, away, you know? Yes. Um, and I played like songs that I knew that were his favorite songs. Yeah. Um, That's and, and it was amazing. I mean, you could just feel, it felt like there were angels just flooding that whole place. Like you could just feel the spirit of God in that place. It was just unbelievable. It was like, it was so thick in that place. And all there were, but all these other people that like never go to church or had never wow. been to a service like that. They still talk about it. They wow. said, I've never been to anything like that. Wow. And they said, wow, if I knew church was like this, I would have been going all this time. You know, like they, they just, so yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. So, and then, so right before the funeral, my daughter had a dream. I, I can't remember. Was she had it or I had it? I think she did where Robbie was standing outside the door and he knocked on the door. And when we opened it up, he was wearing a tuxedo and he was like, come on, let's go. It's time to go. And I was like, okay, Robbie's ready for his celebration service. Like, let's get it on, you know, let's go. That dream got Cindy thinking that even though Robbie might not have known how to speak to her while he was on earth, maybe he was finally able to do that in heaven. So when my husband's telling me this story, I'm going, oh my God. He was gone that 15 minutes. What happened during that 15 right. minutes? And I'm almost wondering if he had this time up in heaven and he, and he wanted to stay, but he came back here because he loved me mm. and he didn't want to do that to me. And he gave me 10 extra years yeah. that maybe I would, you know, he wasn't supposed, but he came back for 10 more years. So I'm putting all these pieces together. So then people leave and they come back and they found this little toy penguin in my yard. And they said, Cindy, were your little nieces here to visit you? And did they drop this? And I said, no, they weren't here. I don't know where this penguin came from. Then the day my husband goes back to work, he, he goes, he sits at his desk and there's this little paperweight penguin sitting on his desk and he's going, where did this penguin come from? He's asking all the guys, did somebody put this on my desk? And nobody, nobody had ever seen it. He had no idea. So he brought it home. He says, I found this on my desk. What's with this penguin? 
Then I remember the dream that my daughter had of Robbie oh, wearing a tuxedo. Yeah. And when I look up tux, I'm like, well, wait a minute. They, that, they call that a penguin suit. It's like yeah. he was wearing a penguin suit. And we just kept finding penguins all over the place. We're like, what is going on with the penguins? And Robbie used to watch Disney all the time. And he loved watching uh, Mary Poppins. And he loved the scene where Dick Van Dyke would dance with all the little penguins. So um, finally, a couple of weeks later, we went to his group home and we went to go clean out his room. And uh, he had his little DVD player there and I hit the eject button and out it opens and Happy Feet was the very oh. last movie he ever watched with the dancing penguins. And I said, oh my God, this is Robbie. This is totally, this wow. is all coming from Robbie. I don't know <laughs> what's the deal with the penguins. Obviously he right. really liked penguins. Right, right. Every time a penguin is showing up, it's like I'm getting a message from Robbie. Right. After taking some time to grieve and take all of this in, Cindy began to write a book. So I sat down um, and I wrote one story, boom, and it was and it was the story of uh, when he was two and a half and he wasn't talking and I took took him to the doctor and the doctor said right. he had autism, whatever. I'm like, but that's just the beginning of the story. Like, I'm, that's right. just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to talk about. Right. And it was easy because uh, because I used to write songs, you know, when, oh, when I was, right. you know, doing worship and everything. I, there was a season where I just like, I, I would write songs like every day and sit down and write right. and write them all in rhyme. So it was just like, I was writing songs and I sat down and I wrote 12 songs and like within, right. within a few days and, and it went all the way from beginning to end. And it was like, it was flowing. It was just like coming straight from heaven, you know? And, um, and when he first gets diagnosed, the mama penguin looks at him and says, I love you just the way you are. And, and the way I used to calm Robbie down all the time was I would take him for rides in the car. Oh, yeah. And so I started, I started it with Robbie is a penguin who likes riding in the car. His mama always says, I love you just the way you are. Oh, and as it kept going, I, I, I kept every story ended with that, with her right. saying, I love you just the way you are. Yeah. And at the, and the very last story is this little, uh, this little pink kitty cat angel comes to see him, and this is the this is the story of when he was seven, 17 when he had that first seizure. This little kitty cat angel comes and takes him, and they go on a ride, and they go up to heaven, and he meets um, meets his pop up up there, and takes him on a tour of heaven, and they eat pizza, and they ride roller coasters, and he goes swimming in the crystal sea, and he rides with the dolphins in the sea, and this whole adventure, and then he and then and then he meets the Lion King, and the and the Lion King has a talk with him, and. And he says to the Lion King, he says, this place is great. Can I stay here? And he says, well, you could stay here if you want, but I have other things for you to do. I would like you to go back for 10 more years. You're, you know, it's not going to be easy. You know, you're going to get sick. You're going to take rides in the rides in the ambulance. Um, but your mom is going to do, uh, do videos of you. And you're, the two of you are going to teach the world about autism. And everybody's going to fall in love with you in these videos. And he says, okay, I'll go back because I really love my mama, which was that text. I had gotten so he goes back and then 10 and then throughout the 10 years you know you see little scenes of everything they do with the videos and him splashing in the water and playing in the pool and going to the ocean blah, blah, blah. and then 10 years later the same angel comes back and says hi remember me it's job well done it's time to go home 
And he says, okay, okay, I'm going to go, but what, first let me go see my mama. And he goes and he gives the mama a kiss and, and he says, I won't be very far, but always remember, I love you just the way you are. And it's like the very, and I was like, and I, I, I felt like I didn't even think of this. It just like came to me as I was writing and I'm like crying that you're the guy. Oh my God, I can't believe yeah. this, you know, because the mama said it to him in every story. And at the very end, he says it back to her. I love right. you just the way you are. And, and then that's the end of the story. So wow. I love you just the way you are. Maybe those are the perfect words to encapsulate Cindy's story. She learned who God created each of her children to be, and she never tried to change them. She saw God's unconditional love for her and allowed it to overflow from her, even during the darkest times when she felt completely alone. And she even repaired her relationship with her father, so tell me, what but, do you want people to take away from your story? Well, the, and that was the, the big thing. So I wanted to just back up quickly, the story with my dad. So, I, you know, I had eloped and everything. And years later, my pastor was teaching a sermon about each week he was doing the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And he hit the one where it says, honor your father and mother and all will go well with you. Mm -hmm. He said, there's not a stipulation that says, but only if they were a good parent. And I said, mm -hmm. oh man, I'm in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not good. And I, so I, I went home and I said, I, I have to do something. Cause I, I had forgiven my father many, many times over and over again. I'm right. like, God, how many times do I have to keep forgiving him? Right. Like, I don't understand. What do you want me to do? So at this point, my dad had moved to Costa Rica and he was turning 60. And I, so I wrote a letter to him. I wrote this 10 page letter to him. And I felt God was telling me, I needed to apologize to him oh. for eloping okay. and, and for getting, getting snotty with him, you know, but, and so I told him what he did at, and I forgave him for it. And, it, and I also was asking him to forgive me for doing that. Cause I said, I didn't feel you were worthy to welcome me death on the aisle. So I was punishing you. And I said, please forgive me for that. Okay. So my dad writes back and he, he said he cried, you know, halfway through the letter, he had to stop because he, because he was crying. He said, and of course he didn't remember doing any of the things that he did because they never do. Right. And, um, and he said, you know, I, uh, he said, I forgive you. Thank you for forgiving me. He says, and I just want you to know, he said, someday when you have a ministry of your own and you go tell people your story of your life. He said, you have my permission to talk about me and say, tell them all wow. of this. He says, but just make sure that you end it by letting them know that I have my relationship back with God now because he, his car broke down in the jungles in Costa Rica and who comes by to pick him up? Missionaries. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up going and living with these missionaries for a month. Oh, so now he's like carrying his Bible around. He's preaching to everybody. Oh, he wow. loves God. You know, so just make sure you finish the story with letting everybody know that right. I'm in a good place now. Right. And I have my, my life back on track and I have my relationship back with God. I'm like, great. A month later, my father has a heart attack and drops dead. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was so happy that I yes. listened to God and did yes. what it, you know, cause that, cause I had that closure yes. that I never would have had. Yes. And so I had told you when I married my husband, he was not a Christian. So he, my husband came to church for my dad's funeral. It was the first time he ever went to church with me. And my husband ended up getting saved after wow. that. Wow. And I, what I learned from that was that it was like by forgiving my father, it, it was like there was a block to every prayer that I had, you know, like 20 years praying right. for, for that. Right. You know? And it was like, there was something blocking all the time. And, and, and when I finally forgave my father, it's like it opened up the windows and 
all these things finally began to happen. And I always was having issues with my husband because in my mind, he was my, right. it was like my, I have dreams that my dad and my husband were like the same person, right. you know? So by my forgiving my dad, then I was able to start forgiving my husband and it started changing. I started to see the change in my husband and the change in my marriage, right. you know? So, um, so that's one huge thing that I, I, you know, a message that I want to get out to people yeah. is how important forgiveness is. Yes. Because they say like, you know, uh, holding something against somebody and not forgiving them is like drinking poison and waiting for yeah. them to die. Yeah. You know? Yes. So, and it's, and it's true because unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment, you, you know, it, it can cause physical, you know, ailments in your body, you know, yeah. it can cause, you know, heart disease and all these other kind of things. So it's really, really important to, to forgive yeah. Yeah. and, and get on with your life. So um, and so I've kind of lived my life that way of always having to, you know, forgive and move on and don't dwell on negative right. stuff. Don't, you know, yeah. and, and with families that have a kid with autism, it's very, very stressful. Yeah. There's like an 80% divorce rate. Right. So, you know, I have to do that with my, you know, and the one thing that my son taught me which is I heard on your other podcast, she said the exact same thing. I said, she's taking my words right out of my mouth. A child like that teaches you about how to love unconditionally, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you learn how to look past, you know, does my husband do everything right? No, a lot of stuff he does irritates me. Right. You know? <laughs> but, and I'm, I'm met, we're married 38 years now, you right. know, it's because you learn how to let stuff go, forgive stuff, love right. unconditionally, yeah. you know, don't dwell on the negative stuff. Yeah. And I've watched other parents where, like I said, when I went to that first meeting and I'm listening to the parents and if they seem angry or depressed or whatever, right. it's like, they're looking for somebody to blame. They blame, they blame the, the immunizations or the doctor yeah. did this wrong, you know, whatever. It's like, you got to stop blaming. You have to yeah. stop looking, just love your child the way they are. Just love them. Right. You know that, and that right. to me, I felt like God said that to me when Robbie was first diagnosed at three years old. I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, and I felt like God said to me, just love him the way he is. Because yeah. I was going to a church where it's like, you know, bring him up for prayer where he's going to be healed and, you know, whatever. And and I just felt like that's not what I'm supposed to do. Do I believe mm-hmm. God can heal him someday? Yes, I yeah. do. But for yeah. now, he's telling me, love him the way he is. Wow. And that's what I did. And yeah. I learned how to love him unconditionally yeah just the way he is so I wasn't trying to get him to snap out of it right you know a lot of people want that. I hear a lot of stories like that oh well like we changed we took the gluten out of his diet and it's a miracle or we gave him this drug and it's a miracle you know and and I through my blog I've talked to a lot of people with kids with disabilities and stuff and they say to me I wish my parents would just love me the way you love Bobby mm-hmm. they feel rejected by their own parents because yeah. their parents won't accept the fact that they have a disability or that right. they have autism they can't they they want them to snap out of it they want them to change you know and how do you think that makes the child feel right. you know right. so just yeah. so that's kind of my my big message that I'm trying to get out to parents that's you know awesome. your your child and it and it's all in my little children's books okay it's, yeah what is your book yeah here it is so there, I have there's a scene in here where the the this is the story of my life. So the twins go off to play softball and the dad is there and the dad always grew up loving baseball and dreaming that his son would play baseball someday. And he, the dad is there and he's looking out at all the other boys playing baseball and he'll, he'll never have that dream, you know, but he, but he looks at, at little Robbie and he says, you're not my mini me, you know, Mm. you're different and that's perfectly okay with me, you know, and it's not, and because it's not about me. Right. And I, 
and I, you know, and I love you just the way you are. That's I mean, awesome. to me, that's just, that's huge. That's kind of the big message that I'm trying to get out to parents is, yeah. you know, just accept your kid the way they are. Stop trying to change them and just, yeah. you know, find out who God created your child to be. Wow. You know, I had to do that with my girls. I had to do that with my son. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, what are their gifts and talents and abilities? What's special about them? And yeah and help them achieve that and not, you know, they're not here to become your mini me. Right. So where can yeah, people find your book? So it's, um, th this is actually my sample book. Okay. There's, there's three of them. Okay. And where okay. can people so find those? This is, uh, this is, this is book one. This is when he's little and this is when he gets a little bit older. Um, this is Christmas time and he meets Santa Claus and everything. And then this is the, the last one where he ends up taking that ride to heaven at the very end, but it's not scary. You know, it's okay. very fun right. to read. Right. I wanted to make sure everything's not scary for little kids. Um, so those are my samples. It's supposed to be released February 6th. Okay. Okay. Um, it's when it'll be on Amazon. Um, the eBooks are coming out probably today. I okay. think they said okay. that they'd be out on eBooks, but the actual books themselves, so they'll be available on soft cover and hardcover. Okay. Uh, so do you have a website where people could find you? Um, no, not yet, but I okay. do have, I have a, uh, well, I have a web website. My YouTube channel is okay. Robbie and me autism reality. Okay. So if they want to see actual videos of, of Robbie, awesome. they can see him there. Um, and I do updates through there. Uh, I have a Facebook page that's called Robbie's world. That's okay. what the book is. It's Robbie's world dash Robbie and me autism reality, because I have to sort of, um, I, I want my YouTube followers to also, yes. you know, follow the book. Yeah. I tried to link them both together. So, That's awesome. um, yeah. Well, thank you so, so much. Thanks again for listening to Kava the podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures and podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavapodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited, to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.